Good morning. I'm very excited to be able to take this next step with you in our series called This Is Us because today we're going to look at the second greatest commandment. Last week we began this series by looking at the greatest commandment, the thing that Jesus said was most important. And I wanted you to say this with me right now. It's more a we thing than a me thing. Say that with me. It's more a than a me thing. Jesus was on trial in this conversation in Matthew 22 with the Pharisees. The religious leaders are seeking to ensnare him. They want to take away from his ministry because his ministry bursting onto the scene has really brought ridicule to their ministry. And so their status is in question. And so they want to bring him down. And so they come trying to ensnare him by asking a question, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds by saying, love with all. And then he goes on and he says in verse 39 that the second commandment is just, is just like it and just as important. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. What he's saying in that is this, everything you've ever heard and everything you've ever anticipated, everything comes to a halt in these two things. Everything is made right in these two principles. Jesus is saying, whatever you believed in law or whatever was told to you by a prophet and you've been anticipating, your past, your present, and your future is all hanging on these two things. And as his church, I want you to know that Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, rather to fulfill it. And he did so on the cross, defeating the grave and giving us life. So there is nothing more important to his church than doing these two things. And today, it's more a we thing than a me thing. What Jesus is trying to say here is he's kind of dispelling um, something that I've made popular and I want to repent of. There's a word that we overuse today and I'm guilty of it. I'm repenting of the use of this word. That word is the word community. Because community is something that is great. We can go and talk football together and we can share a meal and that is great. But it is a surface level at best. What Jesus is talking about here is something that's deeper. He's talking about what First Peter says, and that's esteeming others' needs is better than your own. He's talking about the church at Philippi right here. The church at Philippi was the, the poorest church in the New Testament. The Philippians were so poor that when Paul wrote to them behind bars, in chains, in a darkened cave, no longer allowed to make tents as a living... All of Philippi came together and they said, look, whatever we take in, we're giving it to Paul because we believe he's an anointed apostle and the gospel changes lives. So these very poor people sacrificed so that they could collectively see the gospel go forth. Amen? So he commends them in verse 7 of chapter 1 in Philippians. He says, you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What he's saying is, it's more like John 13, that we are to love as intended. Love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't give clarification on what neighbor was. And Jesus in Matthew 5 went a lot further and said, hey, if you only love those who are like you, then you're no different than the scourge of our society, the tax collector. If you only love those who are like you, then you're not fit for my kingdom. You're called to do more than that, to go beyond that, to love even your enemies. So it's not just your friends who you have deep relationship with or not just acquaintances. It's your enemy. And you're to put them in a close proximity to Jesus so they can see their lives change. You have a responsibility to put them before him. And 
you have a responsibility together to live one word. That word in the English is the title of this church. It's called fellowship. In the Greek, it is koinonia. It is defined in this way. Intimate spiritual communion and participative sharing in a common religious commitment and spiritual community. What that's saying is this. It goes beyond talking football. It goes beyond pleasantries. It goes beyond thinking that my stuff that I've been suffering and carrying in a broken world is too heavy for you. It goes beyond thinking that you can't share your stuff with me because I can't handle it. It is the, it is the lifting of arms that we saw in Aaron. It is the sharing of one another's burdens that we've been promised to do. It is the sharpening of one another by the word of the truth because your opinion doesn't matter and neither does mine. Amen? It is coming alongside one another and bearing with one another, lifting, encouraging, and challenging, and that goes beyond talks around football. Amen? It is loving at a deep-seated, convicted level that I can do nothing but trust that Jesus alone heals and my friends must be proximate to that. Today, I am someone who believes that my opinion does not matter and I believe the best way to emphasize what Jesus is talking about is to go to his word. I'm going to illustrate what I believe Jesus is calling for in the second greatest commandment by using a passage in Mark 2. It is more a we thing then it is a me thing. Mark 2, chapter 1, verse through 12. I'm just going to read it and then I'm going to pack it. It says, When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. The New King James says that he was in the house. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, that he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and after digging through it, lowered him on a mat on which the paralytic was lying and seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does, this, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit what they were thinking uh, within themselves. They did not speak this out loud. This is just in their mind and heart. Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know, the Son of Man has been given authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up took his mat and went in front of everyone. And as a result, all were astounded, scribe included. They gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. How many of you have recognized a stirring within our church? God's Spirit has been wrestling and moving and doing some things in our midst. I'm seeing people open up. I'm seeing answered prayers. I'm seeing things happen. But how many of you know that we all have to get to that place where we are more submitted to what He wants than what we want? To see the testimony of this. We've never seen anything like this. How many of you want that to be your testimony? 
How many of you want us to collectively have that testimony? We've never seen anything like this. God is moving and he can alone take credit. That's it. How many of us want that? This means yes. So what this is going to mean is this. James 4, 7. Submit then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Listen to me. Resisting the devil means this, taking up arms against him. It doesn't mean just run away. It means the church does battle. The church stops. I think you've heard some things have been happening already this morning. This week was violent for me. It was intense because I believe today is the day of salvation. I know it. I know it. And it all depends on how we, the church, take up arms and pray for the one who here needs to be saved today. It may be more than one, but I know it's happening. And I just want you to know, as I come to you, please pray. We all must submit. There is an opportunity to submit to either Christ or to submit to our own way like we've done a million times. Every single person here is responding today. Let's look at how we're responding. There was a crowd that had gathered that was so large in Mark 2 because Jesus has returned. It was so big that while in the house, the crowd was pouring out in the, into the streets. They couldn't even get clear near the doorway. And here's why. Because Jesus' ministry started in Capernaum. It's where he took at a wedding feast the essential element of water and turned it into something extraordinary. He turned it into wine and saved the reputation of those throwing that party, saved the reputation of the wedding, saved the wedding celebration altogether, his very first miracle, before he was even ready to move. His compassion from his mother, Mary, evoked him into action, and a miracle happened. From there, he relieved the fever from Peter's mother-in-law. He cast out a demon-possessed boy. He, He saved a leper, by removing leprosy. Do you hear what I'm saying? So all these things were happening in Capernaum while Jesus was there on his first trip. And so because these things took place, they have highly anticipated his return and they want to see what he's going to do next. Do you understand? So what Jesus does next is amazing. They have a fundamental belief that he has been given authority over the things that are broken in this world, that he can heal. And that he alone heals. That's our first point. Jesus alone heals. Look, it doesn't, I'm kind of into it. Listen, maybe you like uh, synthetic medicines and that's okay. I take cough syrup sometimes too. Maybe Maybe you're into EOs like my wife is and I practice the witchcraft a little bit too. This The essential oil stuff, you know, nothing wrong with it. But apart from Jesus, no one will be healed. These people knew it, a crowd formed. And they wanted to see what he would do next. These four men, these four men coming, bringing a friend who is paralyzed. You need to understand the cultural implications of this. We don't know if he was paralyzed from birth, which would have been vastly more like Jesus, that they were friends with this guy because in their culture, the paralyzed, the deaf, the mute, the blind, the leper were all one and the same. They believed, they'd been taught by their leaders, these people are stricken, thus hated by God. They believed. And when they went into the public, they had to humiliate themselves 
by saying unclean so that the sea could be parted because it was said lawfully. They had been taught this, that if the hem of their garment touched another, that their plight could be passed to the other, thus the hatred of God with it. Even if to stare upon someone who had a plight like this too long, it would be passed to them. So for four friends to befriend the paralyzed was out of this world. Not uncommon. This is, this is loving your neighbor as God intended because you are forgiving as you've been forgiven. We don't know if it was from birth that he was paralyzed. That would be fascinating. But what we do know is that these four friends cared more about his need and him being proximate to Jesus than they cared about their own reputation. Their reputation wasn't an obstacle. If he, came, if he became paralyzed later, and these kids were four, five friends, I don't know what the deep conviction was. I'm not sure why they were so committed to him. Maybe one of them did it. I don't know. But the reality is these four friends did not give up on this paralyzed friend. And even though he had to go into the marketplace, even though he had to sit there and go unclean, they would come alongside him. So much so that when Jesus comes back, they come, carry the mat each by a corner and bring him here. And when they see the crowd, they don't stop and go, sorry, buddy, next time. Sorry, we can't even get to the door and everyone else got here before you. So first come, first serve. They didn't do that. And, and listen, the paralytic didn't look at them and go, it's okay, guys, thanks. Listen, wives, how many of you are going to let your man off the hook if on your birthday, your anniversary, Valentine's Day, whatever it is, he doesn't show up with a thoughtful gift and you get, it's okay, thought that counts. It requires action. Love requires action and that action is collective. It is a we thing, not a me thing. It says that they showed up they looked at the crowd, and it wasn't too large. They said, look, we're not waiting until tomorrow. Jesus is here. We don't know where he'll be tomorrow. We know he's here today. We've got to get you in close proximity to him. And here's what he did. He allowed them. They took that man, placed him on their back. He wasn't too heavy. No crowd too large, no, no paralytic too heavy or burdensome to put them on their back and climb that wall. No wall too high. To get up to the roof to listen and find where Jesus must be in the house. And then start beating through the roof and uncovering it, pulling it. So that, so that they could lower their friend and put him right before Jesus. So that maybe just looking at him, maybe just touching him, he might be healed. Can you imagine how weird this is? Like what if, like drums, the roof starts getting beat on right now and all of a sudden a hole opens. We're all going to be like, what? And then some dude comes through and he's like, how you doing? <laughs> this is out of this world. This is a supernatural experience. This is not normal. And there was no obstacle no reputation, no crowd, no wall, no roof. 
that was going to stop these four friends from loving their neighbor as God intended and putting him in close proximity to Jesus because Jesus alone heals. Second point, we have to be in close proximity to Jesus in order to heal. They knew it. And look at, look at the response that is evoked by Jesus because they do. I'll read it for you. Verse 5, seeing their faith, not his faith, not one of their faith, seeing their faith collectively, Jesus told the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you. Now, they went there for physical healing. I'm going to tell you that that happens, and that's awesome. But physical healing is always temporary. Do you know why? Because this life is temporary. We were never expected to live like this. We were never expected to be separate of Him in a broken world where we worship ourselves and treat ourselves like gods. Nothing will make you realize just how selfish you are like entering a covenant relationship. Wives, poke your husband. Do you hear me? We were never intended to be in a place where death, poison, hurt, paralyzation, Crippling was to be a part of the equation. We did that. We did that. And so we collectively come to the Lord with a faith that heals. We have to believe in putting our friends in close proximity to Jesus. They have to agree with us to allow them. But when that takes place, lives are changed. He didn't give the paralyzed what he wanted before he gave him what he needed. We don't know if, if Jesus would have touched him, healed him, that somewhere down the line, we don't know how long this guy was going to live, that it wouldn't break down. I don't believe it would. I'm just trying to be as human as I possibly can here. He gave him what he needed first. Because there is a day. That we're all anticipating when Jesus will return and every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. And when we enter that day, we'll receive a new body, free of hurt, free of pain, fear of crippling. And we'll walk in that forever. That won't be temporary. Jesus decided to give that first. Amen? And then Jesus asks a question. Which is easier? That you believe that the Son of Man was given authority to forgive sin or that I make this guy walk right now? This question, which is easier in verse 8 and 9, distinguishes Jesus from everybody in this room and everyone you've ever known. Why? Because if you're like me, you don't ask which is easier. You always just take it. How many of you seek the path of least resistance nine times out of ten, maybe all the time? Hands raised, nice and high. We don't want it to hurt. We don't want it to struggle. Jesus said, which is easier? Let me take the hardest route so that you might know that what's happening here is not of this world. They love a man like I loved the world. They're in close proximity to him the way I expect my church to be. So I will do, it evokes action in me. I will save and I will heal because of their faith. This means we in sign language. Do you know how I know that? 
I have a deaf brother-in-law, and he is not hated by God. Do you understand? He's not stricken with that. He is loved unconditionally, and we are to love just like the one who forgave him because we were first forgiven. There is a response, though, and to my, I got to tell you, too many times I've taken it. Too many times I've taken the response of the scribe here. You know what I'm talking about. The fear of judgment, skepticism. The one who responds like a guitar player watching someone live in Nashville. Yeah. See what you did there. I I can do that. You hear me? The scribe responds with skepticism, fear, and judgment. Casting stones upon the one. Do you know why? Because they, listen, they never said it out loud. They never spoke it out loud. It was in their hearts, in their minds, and they're perceived. Why? Because they're being lied to right here, right now. And they chose to submit to the lie over the truth. We are all submitting then to God or we'll submit to the devil. Church, they were sitting there watching this happen and they went, he's a blasphemer. Of the Messiah, he's a blasphemer. It's going to wreck everything you've built. It's going to tear down your reputation. Your house is going away. Your status is going down. Do not allow this to happen. He's a blasphemer. So well-intended religious leaders respond and go, but before they can even say a word, Jesus goes, why do you think these things in your heart? Why do you speak this way to yourself? Why would you allow him to lie to you? You want to come to me? I want you to come to me. I want you to be astounded. I want even you to say, we've never seen anything like this, but you've got to submit to me and not him. You've got to repent of listening to lies versus truth. Because our third point is this. He perceives our thoughts from afar off. Isaiah said it, his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts far more vast. And he knows what is in our minds and hearts before we even speak it. Like he did here. He can perceive the skeptic from afar. And you may be here and you may be that skeptic. I've been that skeptic far too many times where I just look at what is happening and go, this can't be of God. But my sheep know my voice. And the Spirit of God that indwells me is also affirmed by everything I read and hear. So if I want to know what is of God and what's not, and I want to be able to discern the spirits and be able to have right judgment, I better be in here. I better be seeking and listening in here. And I better, I better be able to exercise truth amidst a world of lies. And hey, I don't know if you know it, but my friends have been lied to long enough. My friends have been lied to long enough. They're crippled and don't even know it. They're paralyzed and don't even know it. They live in a world where they cannot and do not believe that they're valuable, that they're loved, and they can live forever. They don't believe that. Why? Because Jesus can see their thoughts. And you know what? I can't but they've told me. 
with the way that they live and by the way that they speak, they've told me I'm not good enough. Today here, we're all called to respond. I want to ask you this question. How many of you have ever felt like you weren't good enough? Hands raised. How many of you are thankful that because of Jesus, that lie got dispelled? I mean, no, absolutely. That's not you. That's Him. He alone heals. We must be proximate. And He knows our thoughts from afar off. So there are three ways that we respond this morning. We can be the scribe. We can fold our arms in judgment and we can stand back as skeptics casting those stones. But here's what I want to tell you. If that is your natural inclination, repent. Stop it now. Just stop it. You need to stop and come to the table again, remembering what He did so that you could be here and have life. Remember, His body was broken. His blood was shed to cover you. And you need to stop giving into the lies and start standing against those by submitting them to God. And the enemy will flee from you. Amen? If you are here and you are the paralytic, now I know you walked in here, maybe, with some assistance physically, but you have been crippled at your soul because of the weight of this world and you are a slave to its sin and selfishness, whether you know it or not. Whether you recognized it or even thought, hey, this is what today means. Listen, today is the day of salvation for the paralytic. And for the one who is crippled and feels that they're not good enough and they're not valuable, let me explain to you. We love you enough to put you in close proximity to Jesus. And it doesn't matter how weird it might feel do you, know, do you know that the best way to define the word holy in the English is actually weird? It is. And we're going to get a little weird right now. So, if you're here, Jesus brought you here. And people collectively have been praying for you, whether you knew it or not, like friends who thought no obstacle was too high and no obstacle was too large to put you in close proximity to Jesus. You are here now, and you have an opportunity to respond to Him. But it has, you have to, like the paralytic, take the collective faith that says, I know you alone heal, and I'm not, I'm not going to allow myself to play the skeptic again. I will submit to you. You alone are Lord. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What that means is this. All. There's not one of us that did not fall into that category. I was hit with that verse in a few more verses the day before I turned 17 and my life changed forever. I already felt unvaluable. I already felt like I was unworthy. I didn't need anyone telling me that. But when I heard that verse and I realized there was a standard, there was a life, there was something else that I could have, guess what? I wanted it. 
Romans 6.23 says, The gift of God is eternal life through His Son, Jesus. A new day is dawning. A new life. Not, not, old, not new ski, uh, wine in old wineskins. That'll burst. Not old wine in new wineskins. That ain't going to work. We're talking about new wine and new wineskins. Everything to this day and beyond. Everything that has happened, that happened right now, that will happen, will be forgiven, and you'll no longer, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, have it held against you. God so loved the world, that gave His only begotten Son, that all, whosoever, should not perish, but have everlasting life. The thing that was really needed by the paralytic says that in Romans 10, 9, if you believe in your heart, you trust it, not just know it, not just know it mentally, but trust it in your heart that Jesus is Lord and He came and loved you, gave His life so you didn't have to because that's what you deserved. That's what I deserved. For all my sin, I deserved separation from Him forever and a literal hell. That's what I deserved. He paid on the cross so that I didn't have to, so that you didn't have to. And if I believe in my heart and confess with the mouth, Jesus is Lord, it says, you shall be saved. Today is the day of salvation. You submit to God then. Resist the devil and the devil will flee and new life begins today. The third response is the friends of the paralytic. We the church. Listen, you may not be the paralytic, but you know someone who is. Are you loving them like these four friends? No obstacle, no reputation to Too big, worth burning down so that they get in close proximity to Jesus. The skeptic's got to come to the table. The paralytic has to come to the cross. The friends have to do whatever it takes to bring their friend to the cross. That means by the way you live your life day in and day out. It means by your invitation to places like this where they can be in close proximity to Jesus. Dude, we have Easter in two weeks. No better time to invite your friend to hear the truth of what Jesus has did, done for them and to see your paralytic friend healed. To see them saved. No better time. So whether it be right now, as you have names on your mind, I need you praying over them, thinking on them, putting them on a, on a card and nailing them to cross, living it today, tomorrow, till next Sunday, the next Sunday, an invitation to see love unconditional and forgiveness so they might be healed because Jesus alone heals. You want to help your friend? Put him in close proximity to Jesus and do not be denied by any obstacle the enemy throws at you. We can do that together. We're not alone. Help your paralytic friend to know they are not alone. They are lost, but they can be found. They are loved. They are valued. And if you believe that today, this is your response. And I'm going to ask for this response publicly today. Here it is. If you're an elder, a staff member, a life group leader, I need you to stand right now. Just stand up. 
Stand up. It's okay. It's all right. It's going to get a little weird. I said it. I am grateful for your leadership. You are already praying for the paralytic in this room, those who do not know him but need to know him. To the paralyzed, the crippled, the lost, listen. There was a verse that almost led me to not trust Jesus. But when I heard it, I could not deny its truth. And it fought years of hatred and pain to the point where I was accepted and recognized my value. It is this. I will never leave you. I will never break a promise to you. You've had a million promises broken to you and you've had people walk. That's left you hurt and suffering. Jesus will never do that to you. And so today, the Bible says in Romans 10, if you believe in your heart, you trust and confess it with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, you will be saved. So here it is. You're not being lowered today through a roof after hearing drums and a hole open. It's not that humiliating. It's not that weird. But Jesus looked at the paralytic and he said, which is easier? That I forgive your sins or I tell him to walk? He looked at him and he said, you get up. Get up and walk and go. And it said they have never seen anything like this. Today, if you are here and you are crippled by your sin, today that ends. You already have people standing with you. You will not be alone. You better get up. Stand up right now with the lights on and eyes open. You just stand and say, Jesus is Lord. I know it's weird. I know it's uncomfortable. But get up. I know that God has burdened me. I know that he led me and I've wrestled. I know that there is someone in this room this morning who needs to be saved and needs to have their life righted. Jesus alone heals this morning. Do not walk out of this room. Be bold enough. We're not dropping you through a ceiling, but we are asking you to take a stand for Jesus that's serious. And once you look at, once you stand, these people right here will embrace you. They'll celebrate you. And you have people standing right now can help you know what the next steps in Jesus are. But you have to take the first one. The paralytic had to decide that his burdens weren't too heavy for his friends. Is the sinner's weight too much for this place? Say that louder. All of heaven rejoices when one comes home. What will we do, church, when the lost are found? I wouldn't want to stand either if that's what I'm hearing from the church. I wouldn't want to stand either. If you are here, get up. If you are here and God is burning within you, I understand it. I felt it. My, hot, my collar's gotten hot. My, my insides were writhing, but I knew I needed to be safe. Stop clenching your seat and get up and walk. Today is the day of salvation.